You know, we live in an interesting time, don't we? If you read the news in the last few years, one thing has become clear, and that is it really matters who is the person who sits in the position of the highest power in a country. It really matters, and it really matters what he does. You know, with all the political upheaval that is going on in the countries that are around us, the longing of most people's hearts is that we would have good leaders, wise leaders, that would lead in such a way where we would have peace, prosperity, security. This is the longing of people's hearts. You know, and this is something that we take for granted living here. UAE is a great place where we can enjoy peace, prosperity, security, and it is largely because of the great leadership of the rulers of this country. So praise God for that. Well, in the passage that we are going to turn to this morning, which is 1 Samuel chapter 8, we are going to see how the Israelites are also longing for some of those things in their lives and how they express that desire in their lives. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And while you're turning, let me just tell you, this is just a remarkable passage in God's Word. You know, there are some stories in the Old Testament that we can read, which is um, so formative for the life of the people of Israel. Really, if we didn't have this passage in our Bibles, what we would be missing is we wouldn't know why it is that the nation of Israel even had a king. How, how did they get kings, and how did they become a kingdom? Well, we learn about that in this uh, passage in the Bible. So there are three things I want us to see from the text we are going to read this morning. Um, the first is, I want us to see Israel's longing for a king who will provide them peace and security. Israel longs for a king who will provide them peace and security. So please read with me 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We'll stop there for now. In order for us to really understand and appreciate what we are reading here, we need to understand a little bit of the context in which we find this passage. This passage finds itself in a period, uh, which is called as the period of Judges. Really, if you want to know more about that, you have to read the book of Judges, which is two books before the book of 1 Samuel. Really, judges were leaders that God had raised up to deliver his people whenever they were in trouble. And so when we read the book of Judges, there is a lot that we can learn about what it was like for the people of Israel to live during this time. Basically, whenever God raised up a judge to lead his people, things went well. But when these judges died, things went bad. God's people ended up in sin and judgment. Really, the book of Judges 
is just an endless cycle of sin and judgment. Sin and judgment, sin and judgment. But in the midst of that, we see also God's grace. In the midst of Israel's sin, we see how God still delivers them from his judgment. And that is simply because God is committed to his promises. Promises that he had made to this people even before they were a people. Promises that he made to the father of this nation, Abraham himself. But the book of Judges ends badly. As we come to the end of the book of Judges, this is what we read. The very last verse of the book of Judges tells us this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the state of the people of Israel. Just chaos. Israel's unfaithfulness had reached a new depth. And there is this longing for someone to lead them, someone to deliver them from the state they are in right now. And so then we come to the book of 1 Samuel. What we see is in response to the people's longing for a leader, God raises up a leader in Samuel, who is a prophet and a judge. And even during Samuel's leadership, Israel still continues in sin and experiences God's judgment. But Samuel is able to successfully call them to repentance. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And so things were looking good again under Samuel's leadership. But then we come to this chapter that we are reading this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we find that Samuel is old. Samuel has appointed his sons to be judges. But they are evil. They couldn't, the nation of Israel couldn't look to the sons of Samuel to lead them. Israel has been through an endless cycle of sin and judgment, sin and judgment, and they, they had enough of it. What they longed for was not just temporary leaders who would deliver them from time to time. They longed for lasting peace, lasting security. That's what they were looking for. But it's clear that Samuel couldn't provide it for them. And so what does Israel do? Israel looks at the other nations around them, which is always a dangerous thing to do, by the way, but looks at the nations around them and tries to find the solution to their problem in the other nations. And the solution that they come up with is they want a dynasty. They want a king who they think will give them not just temporary peace and security, but lasting peace and lasting security. This was Israel's longing. I wonder if you share the same desire that we see is the desire of the people of Israel. The desire for endless peace and security. Israel thought a king and a kingdom could provide them that. But obviously today, we don't look to a physical king to provide us endless security. But what is it, what is it for you that you look to to provide you that? What is it in your life that you think is there right now that can provide you that sense of peace, that sense of security? It's an important question for us to ask. For some of us, it could be just making money or the stuff we own or the particular lifestyle that we get to enjoy living in this country, right? For some of us, we feel like it could be a relationship that can give us a sense of emotional security that we crave. And maybe for some of us, it's just the approval of people, the approval of our friends, our family, our bosses, 
we feel like if we get that, then we'll be okay. But you see, all these things that we really crave for, notice they're not permanent. As much as we want them to be, they just cannot offer us what our hearts truly long for. Endless fulfillment and joy. None of these things, these things can offer us that. Everything in our lives could be taken away. So a great job that you have right now, well, you could lose that in a minute. Or even the spouse or the family that you love so dearly, they could be taken away from you. Or us living here in the UAE, well, this could all just end in the blink of an eye. So no matter how stable we think our lives are right now or how secure we feel it is right now, there's a sense in which nothing is really fixed. Nothing is really secure. But in the midst of the situation that Israel finds itself in, it makes sense why they would look for a king. They are looking for a king to lead them, deliver them. This is, this is what they found in the other nations. But yet, as we keep reading these verses, we will understand more of why it is that Israel really asks God to give them a king. So let's consider our second point. Israel's sin in requesting a king. Israel's sin. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 to 9. So they say, appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Then verse 6 we read, but this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being a king over them. According to all the deeds they have done, from the day I brought them out, up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they are doing, also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. You see, in Israel's mind, they thought if they have a king, they will be delivered from all their enemies. He will fight their battles. That was the reason that they stated to God for why they needed a king, right? But here we come to understand what's the real reason behind their request. God who sees the hearts of man tells us what's behind their request. In verse 7 we read, it is because ultimately they were rejecting God as their king. They didn't want to live under God's rule. They wanted to replace him with a human king. You know, Israel has, from time and time again, experienced God's deliverance. And God's God has delivered them in amazing ways in their lives. But um, how quickly they forget what God has done for them. So literally, in the chapter before this, 1 Samuel chapter 7, there is an interesting story of this battle that happens between the people of God and the Philistines. It's interesting because of how the people of God win over the Philistines. Really, they don't do anything. We read in uh, chapter 7, verse 10, this is how they won the war. God thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines threw them into confusion. They were defeated against the Israelites. So really, Israel didn't do anything to win that battle. In fact, if there's anything, they were afraid of the Philistines. It was all God's work in delivering them. That was just one chapter earlier, but they forgot. 
If there is anything they should have learned by now, it is that they are not like the other nations. They don't need a king like the other nations need a king because they have God on their side. And God repeatedly has delivered them from their enemies. You know, this is not a new problem for Israel. In fact, God tells us that here. Many years ago, God powerfully delivered his people from the slavery of, that they were finding themselves in Egypt. It was an amazing display, something that no other nation has, has ever experienced. It was a powerful display of God's strength in saving his people and defeating their enemies. And you would expect the response of God's deliverance in their life from Egypt was for the people of God to follow him, to be loyal to God, to be faithful. No, but that's not their, that wasn't their response. Instead, they rejected him. They for, for, forsook him, and they turned to other gods. See, the problem is that no, many no, no matter how many times God delivers them from their enemies, they are always looking to replace God with other things. In this case, they're looking to replace God with a human king, a king who will be like a king for the other nations. That's not a good idea. What will this king be like? Well, they get what they deserve. Well, we read about this king in verses 10 to 18. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen, to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war, war and equipments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Notice what this king will be like. He will take and take and take. Not from Israel's enemies, not from the Philistines or the Ammonites, but from the Israelites themselves. And ultimately, it will result in them crying out, and God not listening because they have rejected God. You know, it is really God's, in God's kindness that he's giving them this warning before it happens to them, right? But notice the response of the Israelites. Even with this warning, they stubbornly stick to their request for this king. We read in verses 19 onwards. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. See, the most dangerous thing for God's people is to refuse to listen 
to the voice of God in their life. See, Israel's biggest problem was not the enemies that they think their king could deliver them from. We see here, Israel's fundamental problem is their sin, their rejection of God and replacing him with other things in their lives. This is what sin really is. Sin is really rejecting God and replacing him with something else. And we see this right from the very beginning itself. So in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, they were living, enjoying all the blessings of God's perfect rule in their lives, living with God in the garden. What did they do? It seems like such a small mistake or a small act of disobedience, right? But really in their disobedience, what was behind that was rejection of God's rule in their lives. They wanted to be God in their own lives. Friends, we are the same. Instead of submitting ourselves to the right rule of God, what do we do? We reject him. We replace him with other things in our lives. That's sin. That's sin in our lives as well. And oftentimes, we replace God with ourselves. We want to be in control of our own lives, don't we? We want to live the way we want. We don't like God telling us how we should live. And we fear submitting our lives to this God. What will he require of us? What if he asks us to change something that we are not willing to change? What if he crushes our hopes and dreams that we have for our own lives? We love being the king of our lives and not God. You know, when I was uh, a kid, I used to be quite stubborn. If someone told me not to do something, it made me want to do it all the more. So when my parents would instruct me, I didn't like it. I wanted to feel like I was the boss of my life. Of course, I knew that without my parents, I wouldn't survive a single day in this world. I knew that. I know that I was, I was at their mercy. I needed food, clothing, shelter, protection that they were providing me in my own life. But yet, I wanted to be in complete control of my life. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I want them to exercise any power over me. See, I think very often that's the way we are with God. We are childish in our relationship with God. We know in our hearts that He is in control, yet we know that. And we know that it's only simply because of His mercy that we survive in this world. But yet, we want to feel like we are the ones in charge, that we, will, we, can, we are the ones making decisions, controlling our destiny. We are like children who reject the loving rule of our Father so that we can feel better about ourselves. Friends, the Bible tells us that we are all rebels against God. Naturally, we are no different to the people of Israel that we see and their problem. We do the same thing. We, too, are rejecting God and refusing to listen to Him. Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, well, how does this apply to me? What have I done to offend God? Well, I, would, I want to encourage you to examine your life in light of what the Scripture says about you. You see, every time we do that, it's like holding a mirror in front of us. The Scripture tells us truths about ourselves that we won't find anywhere else in this world, including within ourselves. Every time you seek to replace God with something else, you are really rebelling 
against God. It may look innocent, just like the Israelites' request for a king. It looked innocent. But God doesn't just look on the external. He knows what is in the hearts of man. So even though we might not look rebellious on the outside, in fact, we may look religious, in our hearts, we, can, we may be very far away from God. And that's why it is important that we examine who we are in light of what the Scripture says about us. See, this was Israel's problem. Problem of rejecting God, replacing Him with something else. But this problem cannot be solved by a human king. Only God can give them what they truly need, which is deliverance from sin. Now I wonder, as you were reading this passage with me, if you had this question, why does God listen to them? Notice in uh, verse 22, he tells Samuel, obey their voice. You know, it's always a dangerous thing when God tells his prophets to obey the voice of the people. It should always be the other way around. It should always be us obeying the voice of God. Why is he giving them what they want, especially when they are refusing to listen to his voice? Friends, we should beware of God giving us what we want when we are rebelling against him. It can seem like a blessing, but really it's God's judgment that he would let us continue in our sin that he would let us have what we want when we persist in our sin. We can see this very clearly in Romans chapter 1. In verse 18, Paul says to the Romans, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What did they do to deserve this, this wrath of God? Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Notice again, it's the same thing, rejecting God and replacing him with something else. But then we come to verse 24, and this is where we see God's judgment on them. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then later in verse 26, it says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to their debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You see, it's God's judgment that he would give us over to our sin, that he would let us continue in rejecting him and continue in our sin. Because for God to let us continue in our sin, it's the worst thing for us. It means that there is nothing to stop us on our way to hell. Friends, pray that this won't be the case for you. Pray that God would stop you from continuing, continuing in your sin, no matter the means. Do you realize that to be caught in sin in this life is actually God's grace to you? That he's giving you a chance to repent? For our sin to be brought to light and not be hidden is actually God's blessing in our lives. It's not his judgment. To confess and repent of sin can be embarrassing, but it's so good for our souls. I can't tell you how many times people have confronted me about my sin, and I thank God that he surrounded me with people who feel free to tell me about my sin. 
but it, even though it's painful to see my sin, to show it to others, when others see it very clearly, my sin of pride, sin of envy, sin of jealousy, I know it's great for my soul. Friends, let me encourage you. Don't keep sin hidden. Don't persist in sin. Repent. Walk away from it before it is too late. There is much grace available to you no matter what sin it is that you are struggling with right now. Also talk to each other about how you are doing in terms of your struggle with sin. And then pray regularly with each other. Pray that sin won't take over your lives. Pray for your leaders. Care for them by asking them how are they doing in terms of their struggle with sin. Satan loves to attack those who are in positions of authority. You know, I regularly hear as an elder in my church of people who have never dealt with sin. And then it comes out years later, decades later. But when it comes out, it destroys marriages, it destroys families, destroys all good things. Don't continue in your sin. It can destroy you. Well, Israel persisted in their sin. They rejected God. God gave them over to their desires in his judgment. Who will deliver them? Let's consider our third point. Jesus alone delivers and provides eternal security. You see, the no human king in the history of Israel gave them what they wanted. The first king was a bit of a disaster. If you know the story, you'll know about Saul. So externally, he looked majestic, beautiful, and tall, handsome and tall. But internally, he lacked genuinely trusting God and following God. So God rejected Saul, and he appointed another king, King David. David was a great king. We are told that David was a man after God's own heart. But even David failed. He was perhaps the greatest king that Israel had. But even he failed and fell into sin. And then things started getting much worse, especially after the death of David and his son Solomon. People continue to disobey God, continued in their cycle of sin and judgment. You know, there is one thing that is consistent if you look at the period of the kings, throughout the rule of kings in the history of Israel. There's one thing that is consistent, and that is the consistent message of the prophets that God's judgment is coming on his people because of his rebellion against them. Finally, when Israel wouldn't listen, they wouldn't turn back to God, they faced God's judgment. God gave them what they really wanted in his judgment of his people. God used the nations around them to take them away from their land. And anything, any unique blessings that they were enjoying with God all was stopped. Even when the future looked so bleak, in the midst of God's judgment, the prophet spoke about a hope, a hope of God's new kingdom that is going to arise out of God's judgment. The prophet spoke about a great king who could provide his people what they need, who would fulfill their deepest longings of security, peace, and will deliver them. God's people had only these prophecies in the midst of their judgment. Can you imagine what it must have been to live during those times? You're facing God's judgment because of your consistent rebellion against God, and all you have are these prophecies 
about a hope, about a king that is coming. It took a long time, some 400 years after the close of the Old Testament, this prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus enters in this world. God's king had finally come to establish his kingdom. Jesus' first words in his ministry to his people were the words that people had been longing to hear. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. You see, God in his sovereignty used the sin of Israel to bring about a great king that he would give his people. But Jesus was different to the kind of king that Israel wanted. You see, he didn't look like Saul, impressive. So we're told in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, there was nothing in his appearance to desire. So many refused to believe him and follow him. But unlike the king that is described in this chapter, who is a king who takes and takes from his people, Jesus is a king who gives and gives and gives. So much so that he gives his own life to save his people. Jesus died on the cross to deliver his people from sin. He did that by being sin for us on the cross. He was punished in our place. And Jesus did not remain dead, but he rose from the dead, proving that he has defeated our enemies. Sin, death, and Satan. You see, Jesus alone could deliver us from these things. You see, as people who are sinful by nature, only Jesus is our hope. Only Jesus can deliver us from these things. And he has already done everything we need, not only to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness, but he's also done everything to bring us into his kingdom. So now, anyone who repents and believes in Christ can be part of his kingdom. And so I want to tell you, if you are here and you have not experienced what Jesus has come to give this world, well, my encouragement to you would be to continue to think about who this king is and what this king has done for you and what that means for your life if you truly follow this king. There is no one like him. See, the problem with human kings is that no matter how good they were, they, were all, they would all die. Jesus, unlike those kings, rose from the dead, and he will rule forever. And because he has resurrected, we know that he will bring all his purposes, all the promises that we read in Scripture, to fulfillment. You see, we live in a very strange time now. We live between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. The time that the biblical writers call the last days. So, through Jesus' death and resurrection, anyone who trusts in him is now a new creation. We have amazing things. If we do trust in Jesus, we have forgiven our sins, we have a sure hope of eternal life, but we still suffer, we still battle sin, we still get sick, and we will eventually die. These are all effects of living in a fallen world. Although we are citizens of heaven, we are really honest with ourselves, there are still aspects of this promise of Jesus' kingdom that we are not experiencing right now. But after Jesus comes back again, 
to judge the world, all of God's promises for his kingdom and people in his kingdom will be fulfilled. We will live with God perfectly under his rule and will enjoy all his blessings forever. Only Christ can achieve for us true and lasting security. Do you realize that he's achieved for us spiritual security as well as physical security? So we have spiritual security now through our relationship with Christ. We have forgiveness of sins. God has accepted us. Our names are written in the book of life. And nothing can touch that. Nothing can change that. And we will have physical security when Christ comes back. All our earthly problems will be done away with. All our tears will be wiped away. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more struggle with sin. There will be nothing that we will ever have to worry about. You know, we get a glimpse of this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, what it will be like when Jesus comes back in his kingdom that will be perfected. The author writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. How amazing this is. Amazing physical blessings that awaits us when Jesus returns. Peace and security that will never be taken away from us. But you know the best thing of everything that we will enjoy in, in that kingdom when Jesus comes back is the fact that we will physically be with God. God himself will be with us. And unlike the Garden of Eden, then nothing will be able to change that. Friends, we have an amazing king in Christ Jesus. He holds out an amazing hope for, him, for us. So then let us submit our lives to him. Let us worship him as our king as we wait for his return. Well, in closing, I just want us to consider what would this look like for us as Christians to submit our lives to this king? Well, lots can be said about this. But let me give you three things, three ways that we can submit our lives to Jesus. As Christians, we should seek to loosen our grip on the things that this world holds dear, whatever that is, money, possessions, a dream life, dream job, whatever dreams. We should seek to loosen our grip on the things of this world and tighten our grip on Jesus. It is only in him that we can find lasting joy. But secondly, as a church community, we should strive to live a life that resembles the rule of Christ. See, the temptation for us as Christians who live in this world is that too often we can get very comfortable in this world. And we can be very much like the people of this world. But the church should look very different to this world. It should reflect Christ and his kingdom here. And finally, 
in the short time that we have, consider how you can make this king and his kingdom known to people who do not know him. What a great opportunity we have here, don't we? To meet with people who have never even heard the gospel of Jesus, who have never had an opportunity to think about who Christ is and what he's done for them in their lives. So let's strive to make him known so that we can rejoice with them in the perfected kingdom when Jesus returns. Friends, living in this world is hard, but thank God for Jesus who has delivered us, he's made us his own, he provides us lasting security. Our heart's deepest longings are met in him and only in him. How wonderful then that God in his grace would make him known to us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you, Lord, that despite our sin and rebellion, you did not let us continue getting what we want, but you sent your son, Jesus, who is the only one who can save us, deliver us, and provide us lasting security, peace, peace with God. Oh God, we pray that our lives will be transformed as we consider how we can live lives as aliens in this world, citizens of heaven, as we wait for Jesus to return. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.